When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Robins on the Wire, a Bristol Post podcast with Michelle Owen and Bristol City reporter Gregor McGregor. Before we start this week's podcast, a big thank you to ELM Legal Services, who are based in Bristol and provide will writing and estate planning services across the UK. You can get a standard single will for £99. If you'd like to get in touch, call them 0800 019 4557. Welcome along to Robins on the Wire with myself, Michelle Owen and Gregor McGregor. And this week we're joined again by Adam Baker. Welcome along, Adam. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we've got lots to discuss this week, reflecting on what is a bad patch of form for Bristol City. We'll reflect on the loss against Sheffield Wednesday. Lee Johnson talking about the officials at length. Um, what was going on with the first goal? Was it offside? Missed chances? Fans clapping with joy when Famara Jiju came off. So different to last season. And also fans leaving early. We're going to come on to that as well. I saw some fans leave on 70 minutes. So the tightness of the championship right now. We'll talk about these new hotel plans. Adam's going to give us some context into what this all means by Ashton Gate and a new home for the Bristol Flyers. And Adam has come across a very interesting article, which, shall we say, gives away a lot about Bristol City's finances and some other interesting bits of info. Um, so, guys, let's start with Sheffield Wednesday. Did Bristol City deserve any more from that game? Yeah, I think they did, actually. Um, you look... I, I always go on about it, but the XG stats, I don't know if you guys use those or look at those, um, that tells um, quite a different story. They basically were quite high in favour of the Robins, and basically it says that they had the better chances. And, and looking back at them, I, I think it's hard to... Deny that one for um, Callum O'Dowden near the end. I thought that was an excellent chance. The Famer Jeju one, he's got to score that. Mm. Um, and there were other ones as well. So, yeah, I think on another day, play that game several times. I think Bristol City would win that game um, a lot more often. And, yeah, I don't think fans should get too disheartened from it. What was the problem, Adam? Well, actually, I think, I know Lee spoke afterwards about the referee, and we'll come on to that in a minute, but... I actually think it was more to do with three minutes of, of madness because in the first half, as Gregor said, they created good opportunities. Lloydie hit the post. Famaro should have scored, no doubt about that whatsoever. They could have come in at halftime two or three to the good. Mm. Um, didn't really push on as much in, in the second half. It kind of petered out into a bit of a you-go-we-go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that, that first goal, was it offside or not? It's impossible to tell, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm sat by the camera that films it and by all accounts, um, my husband was watching the end of the red button at home and he said the angle wasn't wide enough to tell. You said the angle wasn't wide enough to tell as well, Adam, on reflection. I couldn't tell from where I was sat because I thought Zhao looked level with Baker or he came from behind him and it was Baker that slipped. Yeah, I mean, Lee's going to have the, the widest angle view from the analyst, mm. so he was adamant afterwards he would have seen that footage mm. from the wide angle and he's saying it's it's well offside. Um you watch the clip, as you say, that the video footage is, is very tight in from the keeper kicking it forward. Um, you're never going to see from that angle whether it's offside or not. But as I say, Lee's, Lee's had the wide angle footage. He's come out afterwards and said it was offside. 
I'm wholly imagining that, that to be correct because he's got that footage. Regardless of that, Nathan Baker's got to deal with it and I'm sure he knows that. He's a defender. He don't let the ball bounce. I, I actually thought at the time whether they were appealing for a foul, maybe like a bump in the back That's of what I Baker. Thought. But regardless, uh, he, he's strong enough to, to deal with that and, and to head that clear. And then you don't worry about any, is it offside or not? You mm. just carry on with the game. Mm. And from that moment on the mood around the ground kind of changed. Another goal mm. inside two more minutes and all of a sudden the whole mood changed and that that really, it was that key three-minute period. Adam, did that Nathan Baker goal remind you at all of the one of the ones from Millwall last season? Because I remember oh, yeah. Nathan Baker, he went to win a high ball and he got probably elbowed in the mush, to be fair to him. But it was a bit like that. He kind of went down and then... Uh, the referee didn't give it, and Millwall scored, I think, through Morrison. I think it was for his second goal. It reminded me a little bit of that, you know, and maybe he's just got to basically get the referee's attention there at that point or maybe make more of a meal of it, I don't know. Uh, one way or another, get the decision, basically. Yeah, it was a second killer goal, Millwall, wasn't it? But um, he, he went down. That was a foul, I thought. Obviously, this one, I, I don't believe it was a, a free kick. Ultimately, if a, a ball's coming forward from a long distance and you're the centre-half, um, who is you know, charged with heading the first ball. You know, he's come in effectively the sort of Aidan Flint role. Flinty was there. You'd, you'd imagine Flinty coming out, power header, back to the halfway line and, and Bristol City start again or it gets fought for in midfield. It didn't happen on that occasion and, and it cost them. Yeah, massively costly. And Lucas Jao's second, again, the defending wasn't convincing on that either, was it? I mean, it was a good finish by him. but It was good trickery, it, wasn't it? It was good trickery, inside. but he went past two players. Yes, and, and again, I think they were more stunned and shell-shocked from the, what happened with the first goal, mm. and it had a knock-on effect, and by the time Bristol City have got a penalty and, and stuck that away, very well done from, from Matty Taylor, who's um, fans have pressurised to get him back in the starting lineup. He'll be pleased to get a goal, albeit from the penalty spot. Um, it was almost too little, too late, really. The, the whole energy had been zapped yeah. out of Bristol City. Just two points on on that second goal. Yeah, Adam Webster, I think, is the guy who just tricks his way past, doesn't he? And then he slams it in the near post. Really great finish. Uh, nice setup from Josh Onomar, actually. Yeah, great ball in in the in the build up. Yeah, clever little pass. Um, again, I thought Nathan Baker was a little bit at fault there because when you rewatch it back, he's tracking the runner coming in and he he follows the runner and plays everybody on side not that that came into play however if he just held his position not only would he have kept the offside line intact he would have been in position to maybe make a tackle on Zhao as he came through I just wanted to add to that Lee Johnson in midweek when we were up at Rotherham in, after the game really praised his two centre-backs and said that they had a really good game <laughs> not the case unfortunately on mm, Sunday bit of a kiss of death perhaps uh, just before we hear from Lee Johnson his thoughts on that loss I saw these fans, these four fans in front of me, made a point of getting my attention when they left. They left at 70 minutes. Why, why would, as a fan, Adam Baker, you are now a fan of Bristol <laughs> City, why would you ever leave? I know it's 2-0 down, but they missed the Matty Taylor penalty. It wasn't a grandstand finish, but they missed, you know, a tense end to the game. Why would you leave? I've always been a fan. Um, <laughs> I know you've always it, been a fan. It happened to me once in the very early 90s. My dad took me down. We used to sit in the Dolman stand. We had a, a season ticket. We went down for a game against uh, Wimbledon when it was Wimbledon, the old crazy gang, in the FA Cup. And um, Bristol City were 1 0 down at Ashton Gate. Um, didn't play particularly well. And my dad said, Come on, let's go. Let's, let's leave. And, and as a young kid, as I did back then, um, I, I followed him. We were walking through the Winterstoke Road car park. 
and a cheer went up and Bristol City had scored in, in the last few minutes to force a replay, which they, they ended up losing. Um, but from that moment on, you know, growing up, I, I always wanted to stay mm. until the end. But it's, it's been a, a long-running thing. Um, they used to call it the Dolman Shuffle back in the day because the Dolman stand used to be where you could only exit to the left and right. You couldn't go through the middle like you can now since the redevelopment. Mm. Fans used to leave early to and it was to get, so noticeable as well. It was. Yeah. It, they would come down to the front and they'd walk out the side and, and people would see it and they called it the Dolman Shuffle. But I think it happens more and more uh, because the crowds are getting bigger at Ashton Gate because of the parking situation, because they want to get home. Um, you know, it, it just... But 20 minutes early, look, I, I would never want to speak on behalf of the fans <laughs> because it's up to them what they do. They pay their money. You can leave in the 15th minute if you want. You can leave in the 91st minute, whatever. But 20 minutes early? Just, just one question. Where were they sat? Where exactly were Top they? of the Lansdowne. Because there's... I don't know if you mean around the press box at all because... There's a lot of scouts and people like that. No, they weren't scouts. Uh, okay. No, so you know, you know where the press box yeah. is? Above yeah. that is all fan seating. Yeah. And they were 100% fans. They had kids with them. Just to elaborate on that, I always find it a bit weird how the scouts regularly leave 10 minutes before the game. It is just the the routine in this country that they yeah. stay for 80 minutes. Yeah. Is, is that just to beat the traffic? Or? No, I also think because they've got the formation from the starting positions, they've seen an, a number yeah. of set pieces, yeah, they've got they enough have, information. What if a player has the best 10 minutes of yeah. their life? <laughs> They're going to miss it. They're not. They're not just scouting potential future signings. They're scouting for um, matches against Bristol City or yeah, yeah, sure, in the future. Sure. So they'll have got the pattern of play. They've got the formations. They've got the runs. They've got the set pieces. Yeah, and they'll beat the traffic getting home. You sure the fans weren't offering you for a drink at the local pub or anything like no, that? No, 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 no. They were just making sure I knew that they were leaving. Um, <laughs> okay, let's hear from Lee Johnson now and his thoughts on that defeat to Sheffield Wednesday. Unfortunately, the first goal has been cost by substandard. Officiating. Um, three yards offside. Ball goes directly towards the zone. You know what I mean? Every sort of day we work with the defenders on squeezing the lines, you know what I mean, to try and get our high press going. And uh, an individual has let us down today and it, and it wasn't uh, one of my players. So, um, yeah, it's really, really frustrating because if you look at the big picture, do you know what I mean? The first goal is very important in the championship. Um, of course, we've got to take our chances, and we didn't, do you know what I mean, in the, in the early phase of the game. But we can't allow this to continue uh, at our sorts of levels because it's too much. You know, like, if we had won today, uh, the statistic would have been 1-5 in 10. And, and now people that want to talk about, do you know what I mean, us not doing well will say that we've lost uh, or we haven't won in five. So... And these are the, the joys, if you like, of, uh, of football management and, of course, um, being a football supporter. <coughs> but what we don't expect is to be let down by uh, some poor officiating. And I don't normally talk about the officials, to be honest, but today it was such a key, uh, prominent moment. The thoughts of Lee Johnson following that defeat to Sheffield Wednesday. And let's just go back to the first part of what he was saying, uh, blaming that official, which we've touched on. Is he just deflecting attention away from Nathan Baker by saying it isn't one of his players that's cost him? Potentially. Um, I'm sure down in the dressing room, he would have asked the question as, as to why Nathan hasn't headed it clear. Um, but equally, I think it's a, it's a standard thing in managerial terms these days. You see Mark Hughes do it every week on Match of the Day, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He is, yeah, he is the number one for doing it. Um, so, yeah, I, over the course of the season, 
officials uh, you get good ones you get bad ones and and they say evens out it roughly does i think so in the grand scheme of it um, had he headed it clear it wouldn't have mattered would it i don't i don't buy what lee's saying there at all i i just think you can't control what the referee does and would he have been complaining if deju had maybe controversially scored that first chance that came his way that looked like a back pass i think it was a back pass but it also looked like he'd used his arm to control the ball i'm sure he wouldn't have raised any questions whatsoever about that um, and yeah, you just can't control what the referee does. So you've got to manage what you can control, and that's his team, mm. his players' performance. So yeah, sorry, Lee, I don't buy that. Control the controllables is one of his. Uh, key isn't that phrases, one of isn't his it? phrases? Yeah. 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 Well, you can't control the ref, so uh, that's I guess a little bit hypocritical. Is that what you're saying, Adam? Well, all I'm saying is if you if you control the controllables, like you know the mantra, if if Bristol City dealt with that ball forward it wouldn't have mattered he'll be saying that to his players though won't he really it's just what you say to the media is one thing if you've watched the Manchester City documentary um, online Pep Guardiola pretty much says to his players you know I'll hammer you in here but I'll never do it in front of the media and actually Johnson's a little bit like that isn't it yeah Fergie did it all the time didn't he so some of the best managers do it and his comments about the stats um, exactly what he said to me in my one-on-one for Sky that it could have been five wins in ten as it is, the stat will be winless in five. But Gregory, you've got a more damning stat than that, haven't you? Well, only there's two points from a possible 15 they've won. And just in my notes that I made coming here, I just got down Lee Johnson's kind of Lee Johnson in terms of good runs and bad runs. Mm. So we've had that good run earlier, now we're having that bad run. So at some point it'll probably turn around. But uh, just in terms of like how, obviously, we had that run of defeats mm. Um Two years ago, record club record run of eight defeats in the league, and then last season we had not not back to back defeats all the time, but a wretched um, time after the five 0 thrashing Aston Villa. So yeah, it, this is like um, an accusation that's been labelled at least, sort of in terms of his management when things go north and south, um, and it's going to be a big test for him now, I think, but. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does over the next few games. Brentford away, I'm not going to expect too much there. Mm, tricky tie after the international break. But dare I say it, I have seen on social media Johnson out tweets. Adam Baker, you're shaking your head. Well, like, like we were discussing right at the start, was it a bad performance in Bristol City? I don't think it was. Had they played that game five times over, would they have won it probably three or four times out of the five? Probably. Um, they had the opportunities. Um, it's just the modern nature, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, of, of social media and, and forums, and, and that's how people uh, want to express it. Uh, you wouldn't see it back in the olden days. You'd be talking in the pub about it, wouldn't you? Mm. I think, um, as well, depending where Bristol City are on the table, mm. depends how many grumbles you get. So as you <laughs> yeah. get down to mid-table, you get it feels like quite like 50% sometimes, <laughs> to me, from what I'm reading, but, mm-hmm. but that's maybe just the other post. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> in terms of Lee, absolutely, it'd be ridiculous. He's, he's doing a good job. He's, do, um, he's doing a good job, but, um, and you know, just from an outside perspective, for me, I think he's the man to be managing Bristol City. But some fans are saying, well, but he keeps having these runs. He keeps having a great run and then a bad run and would, if you have both it just makes you average yeah but I would say what did we predict at the beginning of, beginning of the season I think we all pretty much predicted them to be what mid-table around mm. mid-table that's where they are so for me this there isn't any surprise whatsoever with what's happened so far um, and I, yeah just I think they will kick on and it'll depend maybe on how this team 
gels and comes together. Mm-hmm. And next season, then you think that will be the season that they're competing, or it just depends on signings? Yeah, I, I do. I think I think they're well placed to set out and achieve the aim that they chiefly want, which is to progress every year. They've sort of talked about following the likes of um, Brighton and Burnley. We've spoken about this before, and just improving that little bit every year. Mm. Steve Lansdowne investing a little bit every summer, then bringing in one or two quality players. And, yeah, I, I think basically people have got to be a bit patient. They, they're they on course to do that. So, yeah, absolutely nothing wrong at the moment. Let's take the positives. Bristol City above Aston Villa, which are meant to be one of the contenders for automatic promotion, but we all know what's going on there. If you look at the table, and Lee Johnson was keen to sort of make this point, three points of the playoffs, which isn't bad at all. But the problem is there's a lot of teams around them. And if you look the other way, and he said this, they're only seven points off relegation. It's incredibly, incredibly tight this season, isn't it? And I remember, I think League One or League Two was like this last season. And you get these seasons where there's just a cluster of teams that are so tightly matched. As we go into Christmas, by the time we get to Christmas, do you think we're going to see, Adam, who really is the contenders for the playoffs? it's far too early at the moment. Um, The league table, people start to look at it now, but it is still far too early. Um, I think what you're seeing is, is a championship division where... Although there are the big spending teams or teams with parachute payments, you've mm. got a lot of teams who could, on their day, beat one another. They know um, how to play the championship, uh, don't they? Exactly. You've got a lot of experience of championship players in there um, who've had many, many campaigns now of the championship. You've got managers, likewise. Um, so it's, it's going to be nip and tuck. It, I don't see there being a team who's going to sort of walk away with it mm. in Premier League Man City style. I mm. don't see that at all. Um, so yeah. that's why I think it's so tight at the moment. There was one point the head coach made after the game that I thought was quite interesting. And he said, basically, that the teams up the top of the division at the moment, he thinks the reason why they're doing well is because they've got this uh, bit more cohesion than other sides. And oh, Sheffield that, United? I mean, they beat Sheffield United, Bristol City did. Yeah, yeah. I think he, he means, basically, yeah, teams who've been together for a while and maybe had um, a sort of bonding process, either from promotion or relegation. Um, but in the mainstay, uh, they've got a fair amount of players who've been there and done it all together. Mm. Adam, um, we're going to move on to something really interesting that you found, which sort of links into uh, Bristol City's development plans, the idea of having this hotel, a home for the Bristol Flyers, and pretty much in Bristol Sport all in one complex, which looks really exciting. But you found online... Um, an interview with Gavin Marshall, who's Bristol Sports' Chief Finance Officer. And um, just before we move on to his controversial comments, just in there, there was quite a lot of info, wasn't there, sort of about finances and things? Yeah, I think Gregor probably fine-toothed combed it more than I did. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite an open interview, and I think just to put on record, um, Gavin has said that he was misquoted slightly in terms of that, and, and the accountancy firm have actually removed the interview since, but it mm-hmm. did cause quite a bit of a, a fuss... Uh, among supporters because it was quite an open honest in- interview who, who conducted the interview? Uh, it was, I can't remember the accountancy firm's name but it was an accountancy firm it was an accountancy firm. firm it wasn't like a journalist or it was on behalf of this accountancy firm's right. website um, and they wanted to chat to, to Gavin about it because obviously he's within a, a major sports group um, like I say he, he says he's been misquoted it's been it's been pulled since but some of the, the comments within it mm-hmm. um, you know drew a bit of uh, the eye of, of Bristol City fans. And some of those comments include this one again. We should say, he says he was misquoted, but this is 
one of the quotes that has caught the attention of fans. You win a few games and the manager thinks he's Jesus Christ and he wants to sign a player for 10 million and you lose a few games and you're under pressure to sack him. Wow. No wonder it got pulled. <laughs> well, the thing is, in, in modern day media, and you'll know more than anyone uh, with your dealings with Sky, how often do you get a player or a manager and they give you the same rhetoric every week? Um, it's going to be a tough game. Mm-hmm. They've got great players. Mm-hmm. Um, t- take each game as it comes. Mm-hmm. I think this this interview uh, came across as someone who doesn't do those regular interviews. Not media trained. Well, not media trained, or, or at least not sanitised <laughs> by media. Yeah. Uh, unable just to speak their own mind. and Almost uh, refreshing. Correct. Um, but you don't see it very often. And when you do, clearly it's been pulled down. Yeah, um, but let's just talk about that quote. Uh, that is some pretty strong words. You're a man that's been behind the scenes in this club. So let's give this some context. The player for £10 million. The one that springs to mind that was sort of talked about in that value was um, Lois Journey. So when we look at this quote, is there um, some truth behind it, do you think, Adam? Well, Dione was clearly announced as uh, a loan with a view to a permanent. Um, it was never said sort of what valuation that permanent would be, although I believe it was around £9 million that he joined St Etienne for. Um, and, and it didn't work out for Dione, so it, it obviously never came off. But um, Gavin never put a, a name to £10 million. Um, But I think in, in general championship terms, £10 million is that expensive these days? Is no, it it's not. It's, you know, I don't think £10 million is, is that expensive these days. When you think Ross McCormick for Villa the other season signed for, what, 11 or £12 million. And then you look at some of the other prices that happened this summer. Crazy money. But on the flip side, mm. for Marajiju, 5.3 is the record signing, so it's nearly double that. That's yes. probably why That's people the context, are isn't taking it? it to some extreme. Mm. Um, I read that interview as well, and what caught my eye... Um, assuming this isn't another bit that's been misquoted, is that um, I think he was saying about how some of the players in the championship are on £20,000 a week, which is quite a lot of money, but obviously far, far... Yes, quite a lot quite, of money. Yeah, quite, far, far less than obviously the Premier League, but um, still... still well, he was, he was quoted as saying players at Bristol City were on £20,000 Were on? Yes. Is there no one on that now, do you think? Do you think that was Joe Bryan, Flint, Bobby Reid? Who knows? Well, it wasn't Joe Bryan or Bobby Reid because they hadn't signed those new deals, so they wouldn't have been on that, would they? What, let's, let's give this some context while we're talking about money. What is an average championship wage, do you think, guys? Well, I guess, because, complete guess it'll be for me. Um, and Well, League 2, I know, I know League 2. Okay. I know some players at a South West club in League 2 are on around £1,500 a week, max, max, max. Okay, okay. With bonuses and things. I think just with the parachute payments from the Premier League, that's going to push you up so much in the Championship. Yeah, it would push the I, average I up, wouldn't thought, it? Yeah, what's the mathematical term here? The mean, the medium and all that? Yeah, yeah just the average. Um, I think that the, but the, the scale, the, the low end is going to be very low in the Championship and top end is going to be very top end. I, I'd guess around, and this complete guess, just £10,000 a week. Maybe. Would you say average. someone at Bristol City would be at £10,000 a week, Adam? Um, I think it's always very difficult to to go on uh, what you see. Look at their cars. Spreads <laughs> around in, in the media. I mean, you you see the Premier League players, mm. for example, and uh, you know back in the day, a John Terry signs a yeah. contract, and his wages are apparently on the back page of the Sun newspaper. But how is that? How do we know? I, I honestly believe that is 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 pin, agents is pin sticking with a bit of nice from agents. Mm. But I think it's very dangerous to say you know this average, that average. Um, you can kind of gauge it 
perhaps from their annual accounts, but in the grand scheme, it's how many players are on that? Are you included academy players mm. and all of that? It's very difficult. But like I say, in that interview, um, Gavin was quoted as saying uh, players around 20,000 yes. for, for Bristol City. And I don't think that would be um, anywhere near the, the players at the top end. You're Aston Villas. There's no mm. doubt they'll mm. be paying a lot more than 20,000. So in terms of the championship as a whole, are Bristol City sort of in the middle? Because there was that great article on the Post this week, Gregor, about where the owners sit in terms of wealth. And Steve Lansdowne was, was quite high up in the championship, wasn't he? Well, yeah, he's not short of a bob or two, is he? Let's be honest. Um, yeah, well, the, the problem is you, you kind of tied down how much you can invest by um, mm, of course. financial fair play. And you can, you can I think, add in... Maybe we're going to come on to this, actually, because you can obviously... Um, inject money into the club via facilities such yeah. as a training ground or a hotel or a car park. Um, and yeah, so yeah, Bristol City are in a pretty good position, really, aren't they? That's yeah, I think it's very healthy compared to you look at some other clubs. Um, Adam, when we do look at these facilities in more detail, you were at the club for 17 seasons and you've, you've seen them grow, you've seen Ashton Gate be redeveloped. But how needed, from working there day in, day out, how needed is a, a transformation of Feyland and to get the coaching staff sort of out those porter cabins and, and to get some real top-notch facilities? Or are you on the golfer's side these days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he plays golf across the road, so he's probably like, no! <laughs> um, I, I would say the training ground is, is definitely the, the next big thing for, for Bristol City, less so the... Uh, the facilities on Ashton Gate, although there will be a knock-on effect for, for Bristol City fans, as such, this is a Bristol City podcast, for Bristol City fans. Um, but yeah, I mean, you guys have both been up to, to Feyland. We used to hold the media interviews up at Feyland, where um, you've been turfed out before because the drug testers room, for example, mm. and, the, and the lack of facilities and rooms available to players, to Lee Johnson, etc. Um, so yeah, what what was always said from managers when they come in is that you want um, top class training facilities as well as a top class stadium because the training ground is where you're going to use four or five times a week maybe six times a week the stadium you use once or twice a week mm-hmm. is, is the key bit is you want to be able to take a player that you're potentially signing to a fantastic training ground to sell them the dream mm. um, and there's no doubt Phelan doesn't match to some of the other training grounds around and, and going back to what Gregor was saying um the Brighton model has often been spoken about in, in this area. Um, and that is very similar in terms of the, the stadium's been uh, redeveloped to bring it in line with like a, a Brighton Amex. And now Feyland is to, is to come in line. And um, from what I understand, the, the council has been dealt with. The planning yep. permission has been granted. There are no further real hoops to get through, yep. from what I understand. Yep. Um, and now it's just a case of getting the construction ready to go, get the finances in line and make those uh, dreams a reality. And I think that will take Bristol City again, another step towards where they want to be in, in the longer term. Yeah, and what about the facilities down at Ashton Gate? I mean, there's going to be a hotel, there's going to be a new home for the Bristol Flyers. What does this mean for Bristol City, though, really? What impact does that have? Well, I think at the moment, if you, if you go down there, you're in obviously the fan village on a match day, which is open air, so if it's raining, that's going to put people off. Um, when that comes on uh, online, uh, we're talking probably three years down the line mm. from now, maybe four, um, once everything goes through planning, etc., which I don't see any issues with, to be honest, because 
there is um, affordable housing going into the project. Um, the fact that Bristol City Council have struggled with an arena already. I don't think they're going mm-hmm. to want more headlines about an arena, mm-hmm. especially bearing in mind it's private funded and not funded by them. Um, so in that sense, I think they'll they'll have not too many issues getting over the line. Um, but with attached to the arena part, which is for the Bristol Flyers, yep. there will be um, that corridor along Marina Dolman Way completely redeveloped on the other side where the brook is currently, which will offer more food outlets, drink outlets for Bristol City fans, which will be in the warmth inside yeah. and would just grow the options available to Bristol City fans. Yeah, there's not actually that much down there, really, at the moment. Is well, there? I, think, I think there is, but it's all but outside. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's all outside. If you yeah. want to go and have a bite to eat before the game, where are you going to go? And it's packed in, like, the pizzeria place before the game. So you've got the little stools sort of down the side, down the back of the landstand stand. But apart from that, there is nowhere really to meet your mates before for a drink, is there? Yeah, I mean, you've obviously got local pubs, but... Come December time, you're not going to be stood in the in the fan village shivering with your beer no. uh, freezing up. Um, so in in the grand scheme, Cider. longer t- cider, longer <laughs> term, I think having that opened up on the left hand side as you walk down there will certainly uh, make it a better proposition for fans on a match day. And also during the week um, where the pizzeria is very quiet yeah. Yeah. and the coffee shop is is probably busier. Um, you'll have hotels, two hotels next door. You have regular people coming in during the week for conferences, etc. And that will increase the spend within Ashton Gate. So it's all very joined up, yeah, man, yeah. but those probably don't affect Bristol City so much. And the local pubs will still be all right because they're the local pubs that people have been to for years, right? I, I think so. I mean, I was having this conversation actually in, in BBC Radio Bristol the other day um, and discussing like when, when was the last time you actually maybe finished work and just go to your local for a pint? Mm. Um, it's... it's less rare these days yeah you go into town and you hop between pub and pub um, but actually the modern person in, in maybe apart from in London you don't leave work and, and head for a pint these days so often I think mm. that's probably a, a general struggle rather than around Ashley yeah. Yeah. they'll be okay because it's just part of the ritual isn't it for a lot of fans for a lot of fans that's what I mean that's what I mean yeah down the ground and maybe have another drink there I just wanted to add in did you mention the car parking well, uh, car parking, again, that's another reason why I think the council won't have too many issues with it. You're, you're adding affordable housing, you're adding some hotels for the re- regeneration of the area, you're adding car parking, and of course you've got the Metro bus, which still isn't servicing Ashton Gate, having been built for X amount of millions. Um, so the whole thing seems to be joined up, and I think that's why, when it comes down to it, whenever it goes to council with the planning, um, you're going to have the usual grumbles. You always do in Bristol, you're going to have the usual grumbles of you know greens and... You're inviting cars down, etc. But cars are coming down week in, week out and not having places to park and they're annoying residents. Mm. This gives it an opportunity to to take some of that away. God, I must be annoyed to live by Ashton Gale on a match day if you don't support Bristol City. Can you imagine? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Just just on the training grounds, I I want to mention, obviously, we've been up there. We've been fortunate enough to to have been in Lee Johnson's office. Mm. Is it fair to call that a a porter cabin? Is it technically a porter cabin? It's slightly different, is it? Lee's office last season is is part of the main building, isn't Mm. it? Uh, There are some porter cabins, aren't there? Yeah. But Lee Johnson's office, I was just saying the coaching staff are, it can be in some porter cabins, but no, Lee Johnson's office is part of the main complex. Yeah, isn't I mean, it? You, you've seen it up there. It's, you know, you've got physios that were in porter cabins, and of course there's some temporary now um, because of the, the work beginning to um, look ahead. Um, there's there's lots of temporary buildings. Yeah, around the there. back. Yeah. yeah. No, no, don't worry. We're not saying that Lee Johnson w- w- works out of no, definitely not. That's definitely. not what we're insinuating. I, th- I think the other, the other key point towards the training grounds, apart from for first team matters, is bringing the academy across from Filton. Yeah. Because again, be it's a massive, part of a, a joined-up club. 
um, having a, a proper pitch. That um, stadium, yeah, mini the, stadium. Kind of yeah, mini great, stadium for the 23s, which is what Man City do. Mm. Um, Man City also use it for oh, women. Man City's complex is incredible. Will Bristol City women come up to there as well to should play do. their games? They should do. You know, if, if you're talking about a, a collective as a club, then that has to be an option as well, subject to planning. Um, but it is, it's all about bringing it to, to the south of Bristol rather mm. than having... It's just stupid like that. that it's split completely. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's out of necessity rather yeah, than but, planning, but, isn't it? Yeah, it's out of necessity, but it's just, it's a stu- it just seems silly to have half of your club on one side of the city and half of the other, but now it'll be joined up. It should be far more cohesive. Well, it's fantastic for the, for the guys coming through the academy. They're going to be walking past the players they see on a pitch on a, on a Saturday rather than only seeing them on a match day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Right, well, thank you very much both for your uh, time. We'll be back next week uh, previewing the Brentford game after the international break. Well, a two-week break happens well. Can they get out of this bad patch? Uh, They will be going to Brentford. I'm going to try and find out, or Gregor is, the last time Bristol City beat Brentford. Adam Baker's already been on the case, but we're saving this till next week, Adam, so you can't jump in now and tell us. I was saying to Adam that I think the last time Bristol City might have beaten a side managed by Dean Smith, possibly the beating Walsall at Wembley in the FA Trophy. A couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, obviously, um, Mark Little scored that day, I believe. Yeah, and, uh, it doesn't seem that long ago. Well, that's your homework for the week. You can go find that out. Uh, we'll be back. We'll also assess how some of the Bristol City youngsters have got on on international duty. Jada Silva has been with the under-21s this week as well. So we'll keep an eye on them, reflect on how they've got on and the other players that have been away and look forward to that Brentford game. Thanks for listening. And if you're listening on iTunes, please rate and review us. This podcast was sponsored by ELM Legal Services based in Bristol who provide will writing and estate planning services across the UK. A standard single will is £99. You can call them on 0800 019 4557. Robins on the Wire.